This morning, I want to welcome you. My name is Mark. I serve as one of the pastors. I'm the teaching pastor here. And uh, especially if you're here for the baby dedication, what what a sweet thing to see these big extended families. So welcome to all extended family members for that. Um, As you came in, uh, hopefully you got this little blue prayer card that's got these two prayers from Romans. Uh, If you didn't get that, ushers, do we have ushers? Ushers, if you have these and you're ready to go, yeah. So if you need one of these prayer cards, put your hand up and keep it up and we'll get one of these to you in just a second. Um, We are continuing a series in Romans this morning and we're going to focus on these two uh, prayers that are on this card. So hang in there, we'll get cards to you. We're about to hear from God's Word. God's Word is a living, inspired, infallible, perfect, life-giving Word. And there's nothing like Scripture. At the same time, God speaks through the gift of prophecy in a different way to encourage and stir up and strengthen the saints. And during the the worship time, one of our members, Lynn Wilson, had a a prophetic word. And um, I, I just asked her if she'd be willing to share that right now because I think it might help some of you be able to receive God's word from the scripture uh, that we're about to hear. So, Lynn, would you just come and and share that word, please? This morning as we were worshiping, we were talking about the washing uh, over and over again and how the Lord pours down his love um, on us. So the picture I have was of a waterfall, a very large waterfall. And I felt like the Lord was saying, there are people in this room right now who feel like if the Lord only knew, that's just not enough. That flow is just not enough to cover everything I've done. And this is what that flow represents, is God's love, God's mercy, God's forgiveness in Jesus' blood, and there's nothing that you could ever do that could be too big for that to cover. So as we, as we hear from Scripture, if you find yourself that that's speaking to you, I just want to encourage you to just to receive, open your hands, open your heart to receive the forgiveness and the washing that God offers through Jesus And receive these life-giving words from Romans 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13 this morning. We, the strong, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. 
And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. That last verse is the second of the two prayers in this passage. And as we uh, uh, just open our, our time and open the sermon, I just want to pray that prayer over you this morning. So let's pray. Oh God, you are the God of hope. And I pray that you would fill this congregation with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we may abound in hope, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So we're talking about the church, and it's probably good to start by saying, how do you feel about the church? What do you think about the church? You know, if you say the word church today, you'll probably get a variety of reactions from different people. Some people might think of scandals, others might think of buildings, a church building or an institution. Some have a dim view of the church and sadly some of the reasons for that are are deserved by the way uh, the church has lived at points and in places. And yet the reality is, the truth of the matter is that the church is the apple of God's eye. The church is the bride of Christ. And you know, if you stop and think about it, if God really has an arch enemy who viciously hates everything that God loves. And if God loves the church, we shouldn't be surprised that the church is also the object of this enemy's slander and lies and constant assault and attack. The fact is that God loves the church. The Holy Spirit dwells in the church. Christ died for the church. One day, Christ will return for the church. And that's what makes the church awesome. That's why we get so excited about the church. Why do we make such a big deal around here about the church, about church membership, or about the priority of the Sunday morning service, or about getting into small group fellowship with other members of the church? It's because the church, God's church, is a colony of heaven. It's an outpost of the kingdom of God. The church is the only place on earth where people who have no business being together come together, stay together, and love each other in such a unique way that it makes the glory of an invisible God visible to a watching world. Isn't the church great? I love the church. I believe in the church. I believe in one holy, Catholic, apostolic church. Holy, pure One unified, Catholic, universal, apostolic, founded on the apostolic gospel. I believe in the church. I love the church. And I love the vision of the church that's poured out to us here in Romans 14.1 through 15.13. A vision of a welcoming church where we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. So this is the third message in three parts about this welcoming church theme that, that, that comes up in this passage. If you 
weren't here, over the past two weeks, we've seen how what seems to be sort of a trivial issue in a church in Rome in the first century becomes an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to open up to us a glorious vision of the church as this harmonious house where God dwells with his people. So last week I used this graphic to summarize this, this big passage of scripture. Here we've got this, this, this house. It's the Father's house. It's God's house. Christ is the Lord of the church. And in the church, we have people who are different. We have people with different ideas about how to live out the Christian life. In particular, in this passage, we see we have people, true Christians, but we have some who are weak in their consciences and others who are strong in their consciences. And so they have different approaches to things like what food is clean or unclean or how to observe or not to observe certain special days or uh, the, the use of wine, for example. And so what we've seen is, is the counsel that's given to the church is love one another, welcome one another, don't despise one another, don't judge one another. Each one of you be fully convinced of your own positions on these secondary issues. There's not only room for differing opinions about secondary issues, it's actually encouraged in this situation. Be fully convinced. Last week we talked about showing self-restraint for the sake of others. Today, we will focus on being united in worship and mission, and the mission will be just really coming into view more in the next couple weeks. So the, the focus of, of this section today is on unity, uh, uh, and we'll see that especially through these, these prayers. And some of the material that, that comes up in, in today's passage is, is similar to what's come up in the last couple weeks. And we see the theme, follow Christ's example, don't please yourselves, Please and build up your neighbor in, instead. And you know, as I was thinking about how this applies to our church and talking with some of the people who helped put the messages together this week, I was just, just reflecting, even having been here 20 years now, there's lots to be grateful for in this congregation. God has been good to us. And you know, by the grace of God, we're not the same church we used to be. We've grown. I think we're more like Christ than we used to be. You know, there was a, there was a time in the church when, when church life was much more focused on uniting over certain secondary issues and certain practices and, and methodologies and ways of, of doing things. And by God's grace, there's, there's been a lot of change. And there's a lot more liberty. There's more room for a variety of practices, a variety of beliefs about non-essential matters. And all that serves only to, to focus and highlight and sharpen our unity in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the essential thing. I just, I'm so encouraged by the, the, the growing love and, and self-restraint that I observe for the sake of others in this congregation. I was also just so encouraged this week, I, I as a member, got the email that the members of our church got about new member candidates. And I was just looking at the faces of Lydia, Jonathan, Veronica, who just dedicated her baby here this morning, Destin, Abby, and Joel, and Lydia. And I, I was, you know, I, I was just thinking, again, how God is up to some really cool stuff here. When this church was started, it was started by a group of people who were similar in age, and, and they, they looked a lot alike, and sounded a lot alike, and had a lot of similar life experience. And, and, and by God's grace, increasingly, this church is really different, multi-generational. It's different in 
outlook. It's different in experience. It's, it's different in background. And, and, and it's increasingly reflecting the community that we're a part of and that we live in. And I love that. And I thank God for his grace in that. And this morning's message is really focused around two prayers that highlight the unity of the church and the hope in the church. So the, the topic is the church. We're, we're thinking some more about the church this morning. But as we think about the kind of church that God desires and, and wants each church to be and, 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 and become, these two prayers can really help us point the way forward. So this morning, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to just preach these two prayers. So just to set it up, I want to just ask, when you pray for your church, how do you pray? Maybe you're in the car driving over to the Sunday meeting, or maybe it's Saturday night and you're thinking about the Sunday service, or maybe you're getting together for a community group uh, meeting, or whatever the setting might be. How do you pray for your church? Or how do you pray for someone else's church? Or how do you pray for the bigger church of Northern Virginia, say, or Washington, D.C.? How do you pray for churches in other places? Here are two prayers. This card has two prayers that are custom-made for any church as people are living out life in God's house. These could be called wish prayers. They're, they're prayers that start with the word may. They're aspirational prayers. These prayers reveal God's desire for the way things work in church. And what they reveal to us this morning simply is this, unity and hope. That the church be a place that's harmonious and united and that the church be a place of abounding hope. So I'm going to preach through these two prayers this morning, and, I, and I, I think I can, in doing that, unpack the material that's here in these 13 verses. So I'm going to start with the prayer for unity, and I want to just ask if you would, if you've got those cards in front of you, or Romans 15, 5 and 6, would you just read this with me? We're going to read this together to start this, this first one. Okay, you ready? May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's a prayer for unity. I want to just look at a few of the sort of the key ingredients in this prayer. If you think about uh, just kind of lay them out on the counter like you might lay out the key ingredients for some chocolate chip cookies or something like that. And the first key ingredient is this. It's the ingredient of endurance. May the God of endurance. When you're praying for a church, why would you want to pray for endurance? Why would you maybe even start there? Well, here's why. Because if you've ever tried to hang around the same people for any length of time, it's not always easy, is it? Right? It's easy to get along with people who you don't know for a short time. Right? You can get in a metro car and have just tremendous unity with people. You're all headed in the same direction. You're all breathing the same air. You're all doing exactly the same thing, looking at your own devices and not communicating with anybody else. And then it's over. It's fabulous, wonderful unity, but it doesn't go very deep or last very long. And church is different than that, isn't it? Especially when church is more than just sort of an anonymous community uh, or an anonymous crowd for an hour or two on a Sunday morning. Church is, is full of people who are different. You've got Cowboys fans and Redskins fans. You got country music and opera, right? You got w 
widely different ideas about parenting. And not just different ideas, but, you know, you've got people who just sort of rub you the wrong way. You ever notice that? And have you ever noticed that you rub some people the wrong way too? Like that goes both directions. So, so this, this prayer for endurance, you know, the moment this shows up, it's the I really don't want to be in community group with that guy moment. That's when we need endurance. And God invites us to ask him for that. May God grant endurance and ingredient number two, encouragement. Because we need more than endurance. We need encouragement and the ability to love one another. And most of us need lots of encouragement. And you know the greatest source of encouragement? It's great to be around encouraging people. I love being around encouraging people. But the greatest source of encouragement is God's word, the scriptures. In fact, as you notice, there's this verse 4 here that mentions both endurance and encouragement. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. What's that verse doing there? Why is he talking? That's that's like a whole message in itself. That's a, 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 a hermeneutics lesson about how to interpret the Bible. He's saying, listen, when it comes to the scriptures, you know what scriptures he's talking about here in Romans 15, 3 or 4? The New Testament hadn't been written. He was writing part of it right here as he was writing to the Romans. He's talking about the Old Testament. Do you know the Old Testament is there for your encouragement? The Old Testament is, is there for us. It's written for our instruction. We, we preach from the Old Testament. We read the Old Testament. We get excited about the Old Testament because it's there for our instruction. It's also there to show us Christ. And it's there for very practical purposes, to, to encourage us and to, to give us endurance. The reason we can say all those things is verse 3. He, he says something about Jesus. He says, Christ did not please himself, but as it is written. Where is it written? Where is that written? As it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. You know where that's written? It's written, if you've got a Bible with columns that will show you where the background of these verses are, it's written in Psalm 69, verse 9. Psalm 69 was written by David. David became the great king of Israel. But David's life was full of suffering. He experienced unjust suffering, unreasonable persecution. He was the righteous man who would be king. And David is saying in, in Psalm 69, verse 9, a psalm that was frequently qu- quoted by New Testament writers about Jesus, David is saying his experience was zeal for God's house consumed him, which didn't mean that he was all fired up about God's house. It means he was so jealous for God's glory and house that it resulted in persecution from other people. And then he says, the reproaches of those who reproached you, God, fell on me. He's saying that he was so God-centered that it resulted in persecution in his life, in difficulty, in suffering, even from his own family. Now, why would that be quoted here for a church? And what does this have to do with Jesus, Christ, who didn't please himself? Well, the, the story doesn't end with David. Psalm 69 is a foreshadowing of another man who would be king. Another man who suffered and experienced reproach. And that man is Jesus. And you have to know the end of the story to understand how to get the encouragement from this. You know, David says in Psalm 69 that he was almost swallowed up and destroyed, but God preserved him and fulfilled his purpose for him. And then the New Testament writers recognize, hey, you know, Jesus, 
he actually was swallowed up by death. He actually was destroyed. But that actually was God's purpose for him. And it didn't end there. Raised to life, right? He swallowed up death in victory. And so, Christ suffered, came to glory. And there's this pattern of present suffering and future glory that Psalm 69 opens up to us. And Paul says, hey, you know what, Christians? I want you to live that pattern out in your own lives. When it comes to your relationships with other people, don't take the easiest road. Don't do what's the most fun and the most comfortable for you. Love your neighbor, even if it requires sacrifice, even if it brings some negative consequences in your life. He's saying, look at the pattern of David and then look at the greater pattern of Christ. And when Christ returns, the end of the story for us in this life, when Christ returns, you will never regret loving your neighbor and pursuing unity with somebody who's difficult in church. We need that encouragement to remember when we love others and it's difficult, we're just following in the footsteps of Christ, empowered by the resurrected Christ and his Holy Spirit. And that's what leads to the third ingredient. That's what leads to harmony. Literally, where, where it says in our ESV Bibles here, um, grant you to live in such harmony with one another. The literal translation there would be, may, may God grant you to be of the same mind, of the same mind. And then it says later in the, in the verse, it says that together with one voice, you may glorify God. And again, literally, the, the word there is one mouth. So with one mind, glorify God with one mouth. So there's this, there's this desire that we have to be united in church, united with one mind and with one voice. Now, I love the context here. This one mind He's saying this to a church that he's just encouraged to have two different opinions about food and special days. So what does it mean to have one mind? Well, it, it doesn't mean that everybody it conforms to everybody else in secondary matters, in disputable matters, in non-essential matters. It means there's this enthusiastic blending of lives and voices who approach many things differently, but approach worshiping and serving Christ together, united in that one way. There's one common purpose and a variety of practices in secondary matters. And that common purpose is to unite our lives and voices to bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. We do this in many ways, but the most obvious way that comes into view right here is to join our voices, to literally sing together. That's one of the reasons we love Sunday mornings, is we love to be able to join our voices. Sometimes as we're singing on Sunday mornings, I just stop singing and I listen. And I love hearing your voices and then joining mine back in in the chorus. How can you pray for your church? Pray for unity. Pray for this kind of harmony that emerges from life in Christ, encouraged by Scripture, empowered by the Holy Spirit to endure for a long time, loving one another, even when it's difficult. Pray for unity. Second, pray for hope. Pray for hope. That's verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Just appreciated what, what Matt said earlier as we were about to sing 
that song. He said, sometimes we can get familiar with songs or lines in songs and we sing these words. We don't really think about what they mean. Let's do the same thing with the word hope. What's, what is hope? What does hope mean? You know, hope has something to do with the future, doesn't it? It has something to do with an expectation. There's something promising out there. There's something good out there in the future. Hope is fundamentally future-based. You don't hope for something that you already have. You hope for something that you don't have. You don't hope for things to be the way they are. You hope for some new thing or some different thing to happen. I hope the weather's good for the picnic this afternoon or something like that. So you're, you're looking forward with desires and expectations. Who needs hope today? wonder who walked in this auditorium this morning just drained of hope. Maybe as Lynn was sharing, you're that person. You're just aware of failures in your life, and it's drained you of hope that forgiveness could come or new life could come. Maybe you're in a tough relationship with somebody. Maybe you're experiencing just chronic pain and difficulty in your body. Whatever it might be, hear these words. The God that we serve is the God of hope. May the God of hope. You know what that means? That means our God is the source of hope. He's the giver of hope. It also means he's the object of our hope. He's the God in whom we hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It's the God of our hope. So what is the hope that this prayer brings into focus for a church? Well, we sang loudly and joyfully about it this morning. The hope is Jesus risen from the dead and through the risen Christ, God's mercy being poured out to all nations. Gentiles here are the nations of the world. May the God of hope Cause the nations of the world to sing and praise him for his mercy. Look at the four citations here in Romans 15. I will praise you among the nations and sing to your name. Rejoice, O nations, with his people. Praise the Lord, all you nations, and let all the people extol him. Now, I said the hope is focused on the resurrected Christ. How do I get that out of this passage? Because there's no explicit mention of the resurrection of Jesus here. Well, again, these scriptures that are there for our endurance, when you see them quoted like this, these aren't just inspirational thoughts that Paul found on a Hallmark card somewhere and dropped in. These are citations from particular places in scripture that bring with them a particular weight and a particular context. And when you go back and look them up, you begin to understand why he picked each one uniquely and carefully. So I'm going to just highlight one for you because so, I want you to be encouraged with the hope that's in it. That first citation, therefore I will praise, your praise you among the nations and sing to your name. That's from Psalm 18. It's also from 2 Samuel 22, the same set of writings. And again, the author is David. David, again, is in the same is, is reflecting on the same experience that he, that he did in Psalm 69. He says he was almost destroyed and dead. But you know what he did? He called out on God and, uh, uh, and God rescued him and conquered his enemies. And at the end of the psalm, do you know what he's doing? David, the king, 
who suffered, was persecuted, was endangered, and almost destroyed, but now has been raised up by God to be the victorious and conquering king. David is singing God's praise among the nations. You might think of the nations that surrounded Israel back in the day when David was king. He's singing God's praise among the nations who have been subdued and are now not only hearing him, but being invited essentially by these verses to be joining in as well. And so we remember that David is a type and a foreshadowing of Christ, which is why Paul is laying hold of this psalm here. And we think about David's greater son, Jesus. Jesus who comes as the son of David. Jesus who was, de- who was destroyed. He was destroyed by the Gentiles and Jewish people as well. He did die. But he was vindicated how? Through his resurrection. He rises to proclaim God's power to every nation. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. That's the good news of the resurrected Christ. There's, he's not on the cross. He's not in the tomb. He rose from the dead. And so the, the, the amazing picture here. In Romans 15, 9 is this. Therefore, I will praise you among the nations. Who's talking? It was David, and now it's somebody else. Who is it? It's Jesus. The resurrected, conquered, conquering, victorious Christ is proclaiming God's praise among the nations. That's the picture that we have here. Christ is praising God for his victory, and Christ is the God who we praise for his victory. That's our Savior. That's our Lord. That's the King. That's the power of the resurrection. And each one of these references brings something like that into view. The whole Old Testament points us to the saving power of this resurrected Jesus. What looked like disaster has become triumph. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven where he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. Our hope is not in this life. Our hope is that this isn't all there is. Our hope is that justice will one day be done. Our hope is that a great and perfect king and ruler will come one day and set all things right. Our hope is the tears will end. Death will be destroyed. Here's how Romans, here's how Paul wrote it earlier in Romans 8, 23 to 25. He says, and Vince had re- at the beginning of the service read the passage just before this, the creation, the world, this world that we live in, it's suffering, it's groaning. It needs hope. And not only the creation is groaning, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I wonder who's groaning here today. And you're just aware of the brokenness, the grief, the lostness, or, or the experience of loss in this world. We ourselves groan inwardly. We have the Spirit. We worship the resurrected Christ. But we're not home yet. We need hope out there in the future. So we have it. We're waiting eagerly for adoption as sons, 
the redemption of our bodies. Oh, what a day that's going to be. For in hope we were saved, in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And if you've never known this hope, come to Jesus Christ for rescue and forgiveness and true hope that never leaves. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit to empower his people. To do what? To get together in churches like this, to be encouraged by his word, to be built up in our most holy faith, to be stirred freshly week by week by the power of the Holy Spirit, to not just have a little bit of hope. I love what this closes with, that you may abound in hope. That's a good prayer for a church. That's a good prayer for any believer. That's a good prayer for churches anywhere. God's people unite with one voice to glorify God. They're filled with an abounding hope. This brings the kingdom of God into view for the world to see. God desires unity and hope for his people, not just for our own good and our own experience, but to draw outsiders into his family. More on that mission the next few weeks. But I just want to encourage you, take these cards, drop them in your backpack or your purse, your briefcase, put it in your Bible, put it somewhere where you're going to bump into it. Pray for our church. Pr- I want to encourage you to pray for our Sunday meetings. Pray for your community group. I hope, this, I hope these prayers begin to show up in elders meetings and in children's ministry classes and, and in, in community group meetings and in, 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 in family devotions, all kinds of different places. These are two prayers to lay hold of, to get a hold of, to memorize, to just carry with us. And so I hope these cards will, will help you appropriate the grace that's available to us in these prayers and just bring them into your lives so that we can be a church united and abounding in hope so that we can be, in the words of verse 7, a church that welcomes one another as Christ has welcomed us. And in, in closing this morning, I want to do something just, just a little different because being a welcoming church isn't just something that we can read about in Romans 15 or, or talk about. It's actually something real. It happens. It happens in churches around the world, and it's happening here. And this week, I got a chance to read the story of Lydia Silva, uh, one of those new member candidates. And she, in her story, describes her experience of being welcomed by you here. And so we're going to close this service, uh, this sermon, by having Lydia come and share her story with you. So Lydia, please come. And please welcome her. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you for inviting me. Good morning. Good morning. And this is a testimony about why we decided to be part of the Redeeming Grace community. My name is Lydia Silva. I am from Venezuela. I lived in Venezuela until August. 2017. In August 2017, 
I fled from Venezuela with my son and husband for many reasons, including political, economical, and personal situations in Venezuela. Due to work issues, my husband had to return to Venezuela on September 2017. Bus, his company, relocated him from Mexico on September 2018. My son Diego is 13 years old now. When he arrived, he was 11. We left behind our family, friends, and church. My job, house, car, etc. We didn't have we didn't not have family here. All we had was a friend who has helped familiarize us with living in the United States. Because we do not have family here, the first months were very difficult and sad to us. However, God has always been with us. God has provided everything for us that include a new family in Christ. Through a group called Robinson Moms in Prayer, I met Joanna Chandler, who has been very special with me since that day. Indeed, both her and her family. When I spoke with her about my son Daniel, who died when he was 16 years old on November 2016, she invited me to be participated in Grief Sheriff Group Minister. There I met Lynn Wilson, who invited Diego to attend the youth ministry. Since the first moment we attended these meetings, the leaders and members of each group received us with affection and kindness. This warm welcome motivated us to continue to attend. Joanna also invited us to visit the SOPS community group. This group also warmly welcomed welcome us. Through these connections and others, I have met other members of the church. They have been very kind to us. I feel this church has opened their arms to Diego and me. Being an immigrant is very hard. You have to soar into a new life where you do not understand their culture, jokes, sarcasm, and gestures. You do not, you do, you do not know the streets, the street, avenue, highways, and store. You really know nothing, and are without family to support you when you feel sad or confused. But I have found a family here among some of you. Some of you have supported me, opening your heart. Your kindness has motivated us to be part of the church. 
Thank you for being a diverse and welcoming chart. Joanna, John and Doreen, and Grief Share, Adam and Amy, and others, thank you for being a welcoming people. Welcoming one another as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. That's who we are. That's who we want to be. Let's give thanks to God, for the, to the one who's made it all possible and who gets all the glory. So let's stand. We're going to sing. And in the spirit of one voice, Come on up, anybody who'd like to, and we can make our way up to the front so we can be close together and hear one another if you'd like to. No pressure if you want to stay in your chairs, that's fine. But anybody that wants to, come on up and let's join our voices together to rejoice and thank God and give glory to our great and risen Savior. <laughs> 